Amen. All right. Well, hey, uh, sorry to start you guys off with this uh, challenge uh, first thing at night. I know maybe you're wanting to finish the day off on a better note, but uh, I got to ask you guys this question. How many guys here tonight have ever once told a lie? Go ahead and raise your hand. All right. Now, those of you who didn't raise your hand, guess what you just did? You told a lie. Okay. And uh, the reason why I bring that up is because there's, there's something that goes along with lie. Okay. If you've noticed this, unfortunately, if you do lie, which you shouldn't lie, but if you do lie, there's something that goes along with that. It seems that when you tell a lie, it leads to another lie, which leads to another lie, and then leads to another lie, and then to another lie. It just digs a, deep, dig, uh, uh, digs a deeper hole, right? Well, I, the reason why I bring that up tonight, folks, is did you realize that is the whole foundation for evolution? What we're going to see in just a second is one lie led to another lie, which led to another lie, which led to the big lie that we have to deal with today called evolution. And I'm not making this up. This stuff writes itself. This lie started with a guy his name is Charles Lyle. <laughs> I'm not making it up. Watch this. Decisions made by people in the past have shaped the world and the church of today. It was the publication of Charles Lyell's book, Principles of Geology, that began the acceptance of evolution by society as well as the church. Lyell claimed to believe in God, but did all he could to convince the public that the Bible was simply a collection of Jewish fables. He was even willing to lie to further his beliefs. His best known fabrication involved the age of Niagara Falls. Lyell left his home in England and traveled to America gathering data for his new geology book. One of the places he visited was Niagara Falls. It was well known that the water had been wearing away the cliffs over which it fell for many years and had eroded approximately 35,000 feet of rock. When Lyell asked the locals about the speed of the erosion, they told him it eroded about four feet each year. This answer didn't fit his old earth theories, so he simply published an erosion rate of one foot per year, dating Niagara Falls at 35,000 years old. Later scientific examination of the falls found that the erosion rate was actually about five feet a year. Principles of geology gave those who wanted to remove the miraculous from the Bible the excuse to do it. One problem frequently leads to another. While sailing around the world on the HMS Beagle, one man in particular was influenced as he read Lyle's book. Applying his own research to the ideas expressed in Principles of Geology, Charles Darwin concluded that if it took millions of years for geologic changes to occur, couldn't the life forms of the Earth also have changed over those millions of years? It was Lyell's idea of an evolving old earth that set the stage for Darwin's idea of evolving animals. Hmm, appropriate last name. So this guy purposely fudged the data. Obviously, I used to live there and uh, seen Niagara Falls many a times, but he purposely fudged the data. Why? Because it didn't fit his preconceived idea. He wanted to interject this and cause doubt on the Bible. But he told the lie, and that lie influenced who else? Charles Darwin. So once again, the truth is there. When you tell a lie, one lie leads to another lie, which leads to another lie. And guess what it birthed? What we have to deal with today, this big lie of evolution. Okay. And again, I bring this up not only by way of example and to show you where the foundation, this whole thing uh, uh, comes from, but it's not just personally dishonest. It is destructive. The lie of evolution is a stumbling block for people to receive the good news of the gospel. And once again, this guy, he admits it. It kept him from Jesus Christ for 20 years. Let's take a look at that. He says, I heard you speak at a local church 
And this was the first time that I had ever been exposed to any evidence which contradicts what I had been taught about the geologic column and the age of the earth. Now stop right there. The first time. How long? I don't know the full answer on this, but how long had that guy gone to a church service? You would think at some time, one time, somewhere along the line, somebody, whether from the pulpit or... Why aren't churches equipping the saints against this lie called evolution? But he says, here's the side effect of this. He said, the brilliant common sense examples produced undeniable evidence for a recent creation. Now, since that time, I have been consumed with the desire to know more. He said, my life is a personal testimony to the impact that the secular education system through the theory of naturalistic evolution has on young minds. Here's what it produced. I spent 20 years of my life without God. Why? Because that's what evolution says. There is no God. So why pursue it? Why believe it? Why even go to a church service if there is no God? And he admits it. He says, because, listen to this, I love this line, because I believe my teachers and not my what? Preachers. The problem is, are there any preachers out there even uh, delivering the truth anyway? But he says, now through the love of Jesus, the grace of God, and the work of men like you, I have been what? Saved. Why? Because somebody cared enough to take the time to get equipped, as the scripture says to do. We just finished VBS. What was the whole theme? Get equipped, right? To give a defense for the hope that lies within us. Why? Because there's people out there who are being lied to. They're being kept under that lie. And they're being kept away from the beautiful knowledge of knowing that God exists. And you can have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. But if Christians would get equipped with the truth, specifically on creation versus evolution, people get saved right and left, don't they? Okay? And that's why we're going to continue in our study taking a look at the witness of God's creation. Again, what we're doing is taking a look at the different evidences that God's left behind for us to show us he's not just real. That's one thing. But the good news is, aren't you glad that he's not afar off from us and on the backside of Pluto and we just get to look at him once in a while? Anybody glad that he made a way through his son, Jesus Christ, that you can have a relationship with him? <laughs> yeah, that's the good news. It's not just that he exists, we can have a relationship with him. Now, because he loves us, he's given us many evidences of that amazing truth. We saw that first evidence was the evidence of an intelligent creation or intelligent design. Ten weeks going from the telescope down to the microscope, we have been designed for an intelligent purpose by an intelligent designer, God. This is not by chance life and certainly you and I. And then we saw the last four times, the second evidence was the evidence of a young creation okay, or a young earth, okay, we have not been here for millions and billions of years, as evolution would have you and I believe, and the reason why is because that calls Jesus Christ a liar, Jesus said clearly in the gospels that the beginning of creation, he goes back to the first marriage of Adam and Eve, that's the beginning point, you add up the dates therefore in the Bible, you come to roughly 6,000 years, that's what Jesus taught, but evolution says, oh no, no, millions and billions of years, so you just called Jesus a liar, and the last couple of times we saw that it even calls God the Father a liar by saying that the Genesis account, okay, the first page of the Bible where God talks about a literal six-day creation, seven rested, six-day creation is not true. That, oh, no, 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 God didn't create all of life in six literal days. We came from a glob of goo over billions of years. So again, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to decide that, wait a second, you're not just calling Jesus a liar. Now you're calling God the Father a liar. How many of you guys would say that's not too good? Yeah, yeah okay, because that's the logical conclusion. But listen, we didn't just take the scripture at face value, even though there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, uh, we began to do our homework, and we took a look at the supposed accuracy of the evolutionary dating methods, and we found out they are one of the biggest con games of all time. It's a dating game, okay, is really what's going on. 
okay? And uh, because again, this is why they say, oh no, you're wrong, Christian. You dumb, dumb, we smart, smart, okay? Because we have science behind us proving that we have been here for millions of billions. No, you don't. And we took a look at carbon dating. We took a look at radiometric dating. And we saw the problem is they don't even function like they're supposed to. Number two, they're full of faulty assumptions. Can I translate that word? We're going to see it again tonight. It's called guesses. It's all based on a guess. That's not science. Okay. Number three, their dates are full of corruption. Some of them, with, they don't even agree with each other. But some of them have a 500% error. How many of you guys would like to put anything together in, that your life depended upon, like say an airplane? And the people working on it were going, eh, it's 500% off. This piece here, that bolt over here. Like, and how many guys would like to get into that plane when they're done? And this is what, what? That's, that's the error rate that they have. It's nuts, okay, as we saw. And they're even admitted in their own quotations. They admit it's a bunch of baloney. So go ahead and turn to somebody tonight and say, hello, McFly. Hey, get it out of you. Uh, the spirit of... Marty's all over me, but uh, uh, anyway, but that's not all. The third problem I got when it comes to the evolutionary dating methods uh, is this, is man, you talk about three strikes are out. First, you call Jesus a liar. Then you call God the father of liar. And if you look at it, folks, uh, from the scripture, they go so far as to say that God's word is a book of lies. They call God's word a liar, that you can't trust it anywhere in the scripture, not just the first page of the Genesis account anywhere in the Bible. Let's take a look at one example of that. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And uh, if you find Genesis, what do you do? Make it right. That's right. And uh, we're going to take a look here at the infamous passage, verse 1 through 17, uh, God's great 10 suggestions in life. Oh, I'm sorry. God's a wonderful 10 things that you should decide whether want you believe in it as true or not. Because it's all up to you, as relativism would say. No, no, no. It's God's Ten Commandments, right? And as we read through, the whole point of bringing up this passage is twofold. Number one is we're going to see how long did it take God to create everything. But number two, how many guys would say that the Ten Commandments are meant to be taken literally? That's common sense, right? And so the point is you're going to see almost right smack dab in the middle of the literal Ten Commandments a literal uh, reporting of the creation account. And let's see how long it literally took, according to the Bible. Genesis chapter 20, verse 1 through 17 says this, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, on earth beneath, or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them, or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but, praise God, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my suggestions. Oh, I'm sorry, I just want to reiterate, it's a commandment, okay? Number uh, three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Why? For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. You really think it's by chance that the name, the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the very name at which the demons must cower and obey and flee, the very name, there is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved. Is it, do you think it's by chance that only the name of Jesus Christ has become a common cuss word? We talked about this before. When somebody smashes their hammer, why don't they, uh, their thumb with the hammer, they say, oh, Muhammad. They, oh, they pulled me off the road. Oh, Buddha, Buddha, Buddha. 
Why is it the name of Jesus Christ? Because there's something about that name. He is so holy, even his name is holy. And he said, mm-mm. Number three, don't you use my name in vain as a common thing, let alone as a cuss word. Number four, he says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath uh, to the Lord your God. On it you shall uh, not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in what? Six days. How long? Six days the Lord made what? Everything. The heavens and the earth, the sea and what? All that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Number five. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Number six. You shall not murder. Number seven. You shall not commit adultery. Number eight. You shall not steal. Uh, number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. That's called lying. I guess Charles Lyle broke that one. <laughs> and number 10, finally, this is the one we always seem to skip over. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You know, all the things that the commercials, every single one, are designed to get us to do. You're not satisfied in life. You need to get this, and you need to have that. And you need, right? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Okay? And again, the reason why I bring this up is because this is the infamous account of the Ten Commandments. And I would hope that it's not a stretch for each one of us here tonight to realize that these are Ten Commandments that God expects us to read literally and obey literally, right? But the point is, right smack dab in the mitral, middle of this, literal account of the literal Ten Commandments, God says he made all of creation in six literal days, right? And again, this is the problem. What does evolution teach? Do they say, oh, absolutely, God made everything in six literal days. And to drill home that point, he made sure we got it. If you still didn't get it from Genesis 1... He put it here in Exodus 20, in, right in the middle of 10 literal commandments. That's not what they teach. They said, no, we came from an accident, a cosmic blob, a piece of dirt blew up, and here we are over billions of years. Now, again, here's the point. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that is calling God's word a liar. So you call Jesus a liar, you call God the Father a liar, the Genesis account, and now... Old Testament, New Testament, you're calling God's word a liar, okay? And folks, I'm telling you, this six-day creation is something that we do need to hang our hat on, okay? We, we do need to take this seriously. Because again, we're going to see in just a second the logical conclusion. We've said this several times before. If I can't trust, literally, the Genesis account, the first page, if I can't take literally the Exodus 10 commandments, what else can I tweet, Okay? And this is, we're going to take a look. There's all kinds of proof, not just scriptural proof, that these really are six literal days. Let's take a look at a few of those examples. Again, the most obvious reading of the text implies six literal days. Children have no problem in understanding the meaning of Genesis, right? You just give a kid the Bible, five years old, they come away with, oh, he did it in how many days? Five-year-old, six days, right? The point is this, he says this, the only reason why other ideas are entertained is because people apply concepts from outside the Bible, principally uh, from evolutionary atheistic sources to interpret the Bible. Just leave it alone, it's perfectly fine, you don't need to mess it up, okay? First, let's go into something a little bit deeper though. The Hebrew word yom for day 
refers to a normal 24-hour day. That's what the word is. Outside Genesis 1, yom is used with a number 410 times. And how many times? Each time it means an ordinary day. So why in the world would all of a sudden Genesis 1 be the exception to the rule? It makes no sense. All right. Number two, every time the word yom is used with a number or with the phrase evening and morning, and that's what we have in the Genesis account, anywhere in the Old Testament, it what? It always means an ordinary day. It's obvious that if you just take it at face value, the writer is emphatic. This is an ordinary 24-hour day. The Jewish people celebrate, even up to today, a holiday called Yom Kippur, or it means the Day of Atonement. They still celebrate it today. Or for those of you in the South, it's Yom Kippur. <laughs> right? But it's Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. Well, wait a second. If we shouldn't take that as a literal day, does that mean this holiday goes on for millions of years? Okay, we'd like it to, and, uh, but it's not. Biblical figures such as Moses, David, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, regarded the literal six-day creation as being truth, not symbolic, not a myth, not a parable. So if you're going to tweak that, then you're going to call not just Jesus a liar, but Moses, David, and the Apostle Paul. Now you're saying a lot of the people who authored the Bible, you can't trust. You see what I'm saying? This issue is huge when you, uh, you don't want to tweak with the 24-hour day. No professor of the Hebrew language at any leading university would say it's anything but a literal six-day creation. Now, they may not believe it, but as far as the grammar and the language, they know that this means what it means, right? If you're being honest with the biblical language. The Bible says, it leads to other problems. Listen to this. The Bible says that the plants were created on the third day while the sun was created on the fourth day, right? Now, if these days are millions of years instead of a literal day, then how could the plants survive when they need sunlight to exist? Right? Think about it. It starts to mess up the scripture. Leave it alone. It's a contained unit. You tweak it here, you might think you get away with it, but over here, it starts to fall like a house of cards. God knows what he's doing. You don't need to budge. Now, not only that, listen to this. Some plants need insects to exist, you know, for pollination, right? Flowers and stuff. But insects were not created until the sixth day. So wait a second, so how could they survive for even more millions of years than they did for sunlight if these aren't literal 24-hour days? They can go for a day without sunlight, a couple days before the bugs show up to pollinate, but not millions of years. It makes no sense, okay? Here's another one. Adam was created on day six. He lived through day seven, and then he died when he was 930 years old. But wait a second. If each day were thousands or millions of years, then this would make no sense of Adam's age when he died. Right? Was he really a million years old? Or excuse me, a million, 930 years old? It's crazy. You tweak with the scripture, it falls downhill. Leave it alone. The Bible says God instituted a Sabbath rest for the Jewish people on the seventh day. We just read that, right? Exodus 20. Wait a second. Does this mean we get to work for six days and then take a million years off? How many guys wish we could interpret the scripture that way? <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. Put in one day. Yeah. Let's close in prayer. No, let's move on. I got more to go. Uh, it, now, here's the conclusion, guys. Here's the issue. If we allow our kids to accept the possibility that we can doubt the days of creation, when the language speaks so plainly, then how are we teaching them to approach the rest of the Bible? And don't kid yourself that they don't come to this conclusion. They do. Okay? I've dealt with it in counseling. Why shouldn't they then start to doubt that Christ's virgin birth really means a virgin birth? Why shouldn't they start to doubt that the resurrection really means a literal resurrection? And why should they believe that Jesus, when he said that he was the only way to heaven? 
I mean, hey, if those aren't literal days, maybe that's not a literal resurrection. Maybe Jesus isn't the literal only way to heaven. Maybe that's this, that. And what are people doing today, even in the church? They're doing that a very thing, okay? And so here's the point, okay? Uh, tucked away there in the scripture is an account of God using evidence outside the Genesis account that these are six literal days. Don't mess with it. Don't tweak with it. Now, we've already seen for the last couple of times that the evolutionists would say, oh, no, but even though it's obvious in the scripture, yes, maybe what we're saying contradicts the scripture, calls Jesus a liar, God the Father a liar, and now the Bible a lie. We have scientific proof. Now, we already took a look at the dating methods, carbon dating, radiometric dating. It's a bunch of baloney. But there's that one out there that I've kind of peppered you with a little bit, and that's called the geologic column, okay? And a lot of that came from the guy named Charles Lyle, Okay, and we're going to take a look at the geologic column and we're going to see that it's got just as many problems as the dating method. Now, as we go through this, you need to understand when people by and large take something into these guys to have it dated. Okay, typically they don't always go for the dating methods, carbon dating or radiometric dating. They will typically come back and ask this question. What layer of dirt did you find it in? Right. And that will determine the age before they even do any testing. And they may not do any testing because they've already used this geologic column to say this is how old it is. So let's take a look at that geologic column thing and see how accurate it is. Okay, because that really is the primary dating method. Even though they have the other ones, this is the primary one. Wait till you see how ridiculous this is. Now, I'm not making this up. Okay, the first problem that I got with the geologic column is it's based only in the mind. All right. Now, I've been waiting all week to share this incredible graphic with you, but let's go ahead and stare this at this and just look at it for a couple seconds. Ready? Keep looking. Now, repeat after me. I will buy Pastor Billy a steak dinner. I will buy Pastor Billy. Is it working? All right, keep looking. I will. No, whatever. Okay, it's based only in the mind. Okay, I mean, I'm telling you, it's just, it's twisted like that graphic, okay? The, as we've talked about before, and I'm going to give you proof of it now, the geologic column, folks, is a complete fantasy. Okay, the only place it exists is in the evolutionary mind and in the cartoons in the textbook. That's it. That's the only place it exists, okay? But let's first reacquaint ourselves with the geologic column because you might think, what is that, Pastor Billy? Well, let's take a look at it. It's the old dirt layer thing. Remember that in school, right? That one time when you woke up during science class and or they test you on this, okay? It's the different dirt layers. Here's how it's supposed to work. Okay, according to evolution, the geologic column is a column of dirt that is supposed to represent the different eras and periods of time for the supposed process of evolving life forms. Okay, and it's based on the observation of the Earth's many layers of sedimentary rock called strata. Now, what they do is they'll take each one of these layers and they will assign a date to it. Right? They'll say that the molluscs and the clams start at the very bottom, and over 100 million years or 400 million years, then another layer was formed, and that has the next evolved thing, and on and on it goes. Now, what we're going to see, um, how do they know how old those layers are? I mean, there's no tag that comes with it. You know, I'm digging the dirt, and all of a sudden a tag pops up. Hey, made in China circa 1427. So how do they know the, the date? They guess. They made it up. We'll get to that in just a second. It's mind-blowing folks and this is their major dating method outside the, the other dating methods okay but oh by the way what they say is and we're gonna see this each layer takes millions and millions of years to form over these slow processes of millions of years and as animals evolved and they died they got buried in millions of years and millions. 
Folks, I've done this experiment twice since I've been here in Vegas with my son Billy teaching him this lesson. You can create the exact same kind of layers. It's called hydrologic sorting. Lord willing, we'll get into this in more detail when we get to the issue for Noah's flood. It's called hydrologic sorting. You could do an experiment tonight. Take a water bottle, okay, get the water out of it, get a handful of dirt, some good dirt, okay, put it into the uh, bottle, fill it about halfway, three quarters with the water, okay, leave some space in there, shake it up really, really good, put it on your kitchen counter. I guarantee you when you wake up the next day, it's going to be sorted based on density and perfect layers, different colors, different grades based on density. It's called hydrologic sorting. You can create these layers in a short amount of time by just taking a whole lot of water and a whole bunch of dirt and shaking things up. Hey, what would happen if you had a worldwide flood? You can, it doesn't take millions of years to create this. It can happen very quickly with one great catastrophe. That's where they came from, folks. But that's what they believe. Okay, and that's the premise of it. And they assume that each layer represents a long period of time, typically millions of years. And to prove it, they've named it. Okay, excuse me, just because you named it doesn't make it true. The Cambrian layer, the Ordovician, the Silurian, the Devonian, the Carboniferous, the Permian, the Triassic and Jurassic, you know where the dinosaurs were, the Cretaceous and the Tertiary, okay? And it's these layers that are claimed to be, by many, as major proof for the evolutionary theory, okay? is what they say. And the reason why they believe this is because these layers of rock, okay, contain billions of fossil remains with some of them seemingly uh, unique to certain layers. Well, let me break that down for a second here. <clears throat> billions of fossil, billions of dead things. So if there really was a worldwide flood, okay, and all the animals and everything that was outside the ark died, and the flood lasted for over a year, and all the carcasses sank and all the dirt was swashing and then finally settled after over a year, then if that really happened, what we should find buried in the dirt is billions of dead things. Hey, anybody know what we find in the dirt? Billions of dead things. That doesn't prove evolution. It agrees with the flood account. That's why they're there. Now, as far as why they're seemingly unique, we're going to see in a little bit they're actually mixed up in various places, which again agrees with the biblical account. But there are certain sections that they want us to believe this is how evolution happens, right? And they'll start at the bottom layer. Okay, you see down there at the bottom, and you got like a trilobite, and you got a mollusk, and you got those clams, right? And supposedly that was the first life forms that evolved in evolution. And over millions and millions of years, eventually it came up to you and I. So according to their theory, if this is correct, the only thing that you should find at these bottom layers is clams and mollusks, and the only time you should find any kind of human remains is only at the very, 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 very top not true okay we're gonna see it's all mixed up okay, it blows the theory out of the water we'll get to that in a second but there are some that you'll find a lot of layers that do have uh, clams and trilobites at a lower level well that has nothing to do with evolution go back to the mindset of a biblical flood had you ever think that maybe it's a drowning order you see when a flood comes and here comes a bunch of mud and a bunch of dirt and things start getting covered up guess who's going to get buried first clams Trilobites and mollusks. Why? Because they're already at the bottom. Right? Why do you find, by and large, it's mixed up, but why do you find, by and large, larger animals and even human remains more towards the top? Because guess who survived the longest? As the waters continue to increase, as they're trying to uh, climb the mountains, but still the water succumbed to even the highest mountains, and they eventually died. So who's going to be more towards the top? It has nothing to do with evolution. It agrees with the biblical account. Okay? 
and it really is more akin to a drowning order, okay? So it has nothing to do with evolution, but that's how they, that's how they base it, okay? Then they call these fossils index fossils, right? And the fossils, they find in these different layers, index fossils, and it's based on uh, supposedly unique layering of the fossils, okay? And the layers of the rock are cataloged and arbitrarily arranged into a specific order, right? Is how it's supposed to work. Now, the creatures thought to evolve first are considered to be the oldest, and thus they're placed at the bottom, you know, the clams and the mollusks, okay? And the creatures thought to evolve later, higher up, and so on and so forth. That's how it's supposed to work, okay? The whole process, listen to this, the whole process is based on the geolog geologist's what? Best scientific information. Oh, I'm sorry. The best guess. It's guesswork on supposedly how long it takes for one kind of life to evolve into another kind of life and then date the fossils and the rocks accordingly. Again, did it come with a date stamped on that layer? Was there a tag that you found that you can scientifically prove how did you come up with these dates? Who made up the dates? You did. It's all guesswork. And this is supposed to be science? You're going to bank every, you're going to disagree with God based on guesswork? Okay, but that's how it's supposed to work. Okay, now what they don't tell you is the only place that this thing even exists, again, is in the mind and in the textbook with their cartoons. I, I drew up, I, I dredged up some cartoons for you from textbook. Okay, what they don't tell you is the geologic column exists nowhere on the planet in its complete form. It doesn't exist in its complete form. They'll find a piece here, whatever. But again, that's hydrologic sorting. It hasn't anything to do with that. In, the form, in fact, but I checked it again today because I'm going, okay, I got, I got to make sure this because this is so obtuse. Checked it again today. It's still there. The source is still there. By their own admission, if the full geologic column existed, by their own admission, and I quote, it would be 100, that's a low end, to as high as 200 miles thick. How many guys would say that's a lot of dirt? Let me give you some comparison, all right, so you can understand how big 100 miles or 200 miles of dirt is. A plane flying at an altitude of 30,000 feet, that's about five and a half miles. <laughs> yeah. Hey, forget NASA. If we can find that geologic column, we could walk to the moon. You know what I'm saying? It would save a lot of money. It's like, are you kidding me? And then they want to say, well, the reason why we don't see 100 miles of dirt, the full layer in its form, is because of erosion. Okay, that's nice if you want to believe that, but the problem is, where's the dirt from 100 miles of erosion? Forget the oceans, we should be swimming in mud. It's a bunch of baloney, folks. It's all guesswork. It exists only in the mind, in the textbooks, not in reality. Okay? The second problem I have with the geologic column is it's based on, I've been peppering you with this one, here it comes, circular reasoning. Circular reasoning. This is absolutely insane. Okay? And this is how the whole thing is supposed to work. First of all, it doesn't exist, and it doesn't even disagree with what we find, uh, the premise of the layers with the flood story, okay, and the account, okay. But this is how it works. The supposed index fossils are used to date the rock layers. Because you and I would say, well, how do you know how old that layer is? There's no tag that came with it. They use the index fossils, the critters they find there, to date the rock layer. Well, then when you ask them, well, wait a second, how do you know how old those fossils are in the first place? By their own admission, they say we date the fossils by the rocks. Wait a second, you date the fossils by the rocks, but you date the rocks by the fossils. What? 
I'm not making it up, folks. And you got to believe this. This is the crux of what they do. I'm going to share with you some actual quotes. They're all over the place. They not only admit it, but listen to the audacity of what they say. How else do you expect us to make it work? <laughs> You're not making this up. This is insane. Now, circular reasoning, look at that. I put in a lot of thinking into that graphic, Tom. His head's spinning, circular, the dog's going circular. Yeah, I appreciated it. But anyway, let's move on to the information. J.E. Wark in the American Journal of Science, here's what he said. The procession of life was never witnessed, never witnessed. It was what? Inferred. We made it up. He admitted it. He said the rocks do date the fossil, but the fossils date the rocks more accurately. <laughs> And then listen to this. He says, stratigraphy cannot avoid this kind of reasoning because circularity is inherent in the derivation of time scale. In other words, we have to do this if it's going to work. Back off. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. David Ralph, he's the curator of geology in the Museum of Natural History of Chicago. Listen to what he said. He said, the charge that the construction of the geological scale involves circularity, um, it's got a certain amount of validity. Yeah, okay, we do it. He's not the only one. Niles Elridge, he's the American Museum of Natural History of New York. Listen to what he said. He said, and this poses something of a problem. Yes, it does, the understatement of the year. He says, if we date the fossils, or date the rocks by their fossils, how can we then turn around and talk about patterns of evolutionary change through the time in the fossil record? Yeah, Wally, how can you do that? Okay, it doesn't make sense, okay? It gets even worse. Jay Work again and said this in the Journal of Science. He said, the intelligent layman, that's you and I, using common sense, okay? He said this, the intelligent layman had long suspected circular reasoning and the use of rocks to date fossils and fossils to date rocks. Uh, the geologist has never bothered to think of a good reply, feeling that the explanations are not worth the trouble as long as the work brings results. And we're the dum-dums? Can you believe the audacity of that? I don't need to answer you because it makes my theory work. It's insane, okay? And this guy, I'm not making it up, this is an actual conversation. Donald Fisher, he's a state paleontologist back in New York. He was asked by this guy, Luther Sunderland, this question. Well, how do you date the fossil? All right, where do you get all these dates from this dirt layer thing, right? His reply was, well, by the Cambrian rocks in which they were found. And so he replied, Sunderland, he says, well, wait a second, isn't this circular reasoning? Direct quote, not making it up. Fisher replied, well, of course. How else are you gonna do it? <laughs> and that's science? Why in the world would a Christian budge on the literal Genesis account when this is what it's all based on? These giant dates. It's nuts. It exists nowhere in reality except for the mind in its complete form, and it's based on circular reasoning, right? And I'm supposed to listen to you. Absolutely crazy. The third problem I got it with it is it's botched by the evidence that we do find. Okay, there's all kinds of things that they find in these dirt layers that messes everything up. Okay, it not only doesn't exist in reality, it's only in the mind, in the textbooks, in the cartoons. It's not only based on circular reasoning, a faulty process of the mind, by the way. Okay, it's illogical, but it is messed up in different things. And the first way that it gets messed up is there's limestone in different layers. And let me bring out why that's important. Okay. Limestone in different layers, okay? As we saw before, the geologic column is made up of many different layers of sedimentary rock called strata, okay? But notice that there's several of these layers involve the same kind of rock, i.e. limestone. If you look real close, you can see one down here towards the bottom, just below the shale, 
then you, got, you skip a layer, then you got limestone. Skip two layers, you got another limestone. Skip one, two, three four, uh, layers, uh, four layers, and you got another layer of limestone. It's all the exact same rock, the exact same rock. Here's the problem, folks, okay? If you say that each of these different rock layers represent a different date, which again, how do you know? Then how can you tell the difference between a supposed 100 million year old Jurassic limestone and a 600 million year old Cambrian limestone? How do you know how old it is? It's all coming from the same issue. The only way the evolutionists say they can tell the difference because it's the exact same kind of rock, limestone. But which limestone is it? The only way they say they know which one is by the so-called index fossil, which we've already demonstrated involves circular reasoning. So that messes it up. The second thing that messes the whole thing up is they find trees going through several different layers. Oops, that kind of messes things up. Okay, and they're, they're, there's no way that it took millions of years for these trees to grow through these layers. It's insane. I want to show you some actual photographs. Here's a petrified tree crossing two or more sedimentary layers. Okay, they're called polystrata, poly mean mini strata fossils, okay? And consider how quickly this tree trunk in Germany must have been buried. Now, how many guys would say it didn't grow through solid rock? So it was buried this way. We're going to see a video in just a little bit that shows you that during a catastrophe, when trees are blown off mountains and whatever, again, picture a worldwide flood, okay? Trees, when they sink in water, typically sink trunk first because it's heavier. Okay, and when they sink already in existing soft mud, they stay there, and as the dirt continues to settle, they get buried like that. And as the dirt settles, it settles in layers. It's called hydrologic sorting. The flood explains that. The flood only explains that, okay? But that's what we see around the planet. Here's an upright petrified tree preserved in the cliffs of Nova Scotia. Pretty good sized one. Here's a petrified tree stump within the layers of sedimentary rock. Uh, as you can see there, just right in the middle of it. Here's a petrified tree right to this man. You can see him at the bottom for scale. Pretty good sized tree trunk going through solid rock. Uh, here's a man standing next to one in uh, 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 Nova Scotia as well. He's over there on the left there. Here's a woman pointing to one also in Nova Scotia. All right, trees, again, in solid rock. This is a good picture. Here's a whole row of petrified trees going through many layers of sedimentary rock. Okay, major problem. Here's some giant ones uh, going through several layers in France. Notice how small the guys are. These are some pretty good-sized trees. Okay, uh, going through there. And here's a 30-foot petrified tree found in the Kettles Coal Mine near Cookville, Tennessee. Okay, the top and bottom are in different coal seams, supposedly, according to evolution, dated thousands of years different in age. Okay, now, the problem is, you've got to look at this. The evolutionist has only three uh, choices to solve the tree problem, going through rocks. Number one, you could say that the trees stood upright for millions and millions of years as the dirt layers slowly formed around them, which would not happen because the trees would long rot away. Number two, you would be forced to say that the trees somehow grew through hundreds of feet of solid rock looking for sunlight. Not going to happen. Or three, you could logically say the trees got deposited that way in a worldwide flood exactly like the Bible states. Okay? How many guys would say option number three is your best option? Scientifically, logically, not just biblically. In fact, it's so obvious, folks, that just one catastrophe explains this whole thing. Even a kid can get it, like this kid did. Let's take a look. In 1980, during the eruption of Mount St. Helens, the entire north side of the mountain slid into the valley. Part of the landslide went into Spirit Lake, 
causing a massive water wave 800 feet high. The water wave and the steam blast reached the opposite hillside where a very large mature forest stood. In very short time, all of the trees were uprooted and pulled down into the lake. Thirty years later, some of the logs still float on top of the lake. Several months after the eruption, some of the logs began to float upright, then slowly sank to the bottom of the lake upright. The ones with less resin sank first. Using sonar equipment, scuba gear, and general observation, it was estimated that around 20,000 logs were upright on the bottom of the lake at different levels in the sediments. Why? Because ash from the blast zone is constantly being washed away with silt and debris into the lake, the trees will eventually be covered over. If another eruption happens at Mount St. Helens and a large mud flow empties into the lake, then more logs will be buried at a more rapid rate. If the lake was drained at any point in the future and the layers exposed, the buried logs would probably look much like Specimen Ridge in Yellowstone. Mount St. Helens has also explained petrified forests around other parts of the world, such as in Argentina, where Darwin proposed long geologic ages. This evidence shows how short catastrophic events could explain the same geologic features from a biblical perspective. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Pretty awesome is right. Even a kid gets it. You don't have to mess with the Bible. You can read it at face value. It's not only true, but obviously because it's true, it agrees with known science, known geological data, and what you find, it makes perfect sense. A whole lot much more sense than it grew there millions of years going through solid rock and looking for sunlight. Crazy, okay? But we got uh, one more to go. The third way that it gets messed up is, as I stated, they find fossils out of order uh, in the layers, okay? Remember, it's supposed to be this neat, uh, compact thing where only at the very bottom do you find the mollusks and the trilobites? And only at the very, very, very top do you find evidence of mankind. And somewhere in the middle, you find dinosaur remains. And that's the way it's always going to be, right? Nope. Just like you'd expect in a worldwide flood, not only typically you're going to have some at the bottom with the drowning order, but the flood was extremely violent. And it lasted for over a year. And the scripture says towards the end when God was draining the, the, the uh, earth, that the mountains arose and the valley sank down. So the water started moving, it's swashing things back and forth. So at that point, things are gonna get stirred up and you're gonna find kind of a, a mishmash of things in the dirt. Well, guess what we find? It's not at all clean like they want us to believe. There is no steady growth of evolution, okay? As the guy said, it's inferred, we made it up. What they do find is human remains mixed throughout all their layers. That blows their theory right out of the water. Let's take a look at a couple of those examples. In the mid-Pleistocene layer, they found two human skeletons in the skull. Oops. Uh, the lower Pleistocene layer, they found a human pelvis, a jaw, and an upper arm bone. Oops. Remember, humans aren't even supposed to be around. A Pliocene layer, they found three skulls, footprints, and sandal print. Because we all know that dinosaurs wore sandals, right? Because it was comfortable for their feet, and it allowed them to breathe. You know, they didn't get fungus, and they... Okay, let's move on. The Miocene, Oglocene layer, they found a skull, a jaw, and a shoe print. Well, that was for the other dinosaurs who didn't like sandals like me. I don't like them. You stub your toe all the time. So at least they had options back in the day. You're going to make up a story? I'm going to make up one too. Okay, let's continue on. The Eocene layer, they found a human skull and a tooth. 
the Paleocene layer, here it is, they found a cast iron cube. And we all know that the dinosaurs were masters at making bridges and uh, smelting works, and they had their own factories, you know, because you had to develop the machinery to make these sandals and the shoes. Yeah, whatever. What's that doing in there? The Cretaceous layer, they found two human skeletons, a skull, footprints, a finger, a cast uh, metal nodules, and a hammer. Well, if you're going to build those factories and make those cubes, uh, then you've got to have hammers for the dinosaurs to do the... Uh, let's continue on. The Jurassic Triassic layer. You know, humans are never around with dinosaurs, right? Mm, wrong answer. They found a human leg and foot bones and a footprint and a whole bunch more. Or when we get to the truth about dinosaurs, you're going to find out, boy, have we ever been lied to. The Permian layer, they found human footprints and human handprints. And the Pennsylvania layer, they actually found a footprint and iron pot tools and a gold chain. Because you know what? The dinosaurs were into bling, man. These things were styling, you know what I'm saying? In fact, that's probably what killed them. They got so much into bling, it, it just, uh, too much pressure on their neck and they stopped breathing. That's what killed the dinosaurs. You make up a story, I get to make up a story. Okay, excuse me. The Mississippi and Devonian layer, they found footprints and a precision pattern. The Silurian or Devikian layer, they found a human skeleton and another sandal print. And the Cambrian layer, way down below, they found a sandal uh, they found sandal and footprints and iron bands. Listen, the sandal, this is the actual picture, the sandal prints were discovered embedded in strata right on top of trilobite fossils. Remember, humans at the very top only? Trilobites, very bottom. A human stepped on a trilobite. That's what they found. How many guys would say that's God going, nanny, nanny, right? That's exactly what they found. Footprints were also found near Managua, Nicaragua, underneath 11 strata of solid rock, 16 to 24 feet, 16 to 24 feet below the surface. What's that doing down there? Human footprints. And along with that were found polished stone artifacts, traces of domesticated horses, and even dogs down below. That's right, man. That's my Sammy. <laughs> Got my wiener dog in there. He's famous. Anyway, but here's the whole point with this, okay? This isn't just interesting, but listen, they admit that this ruins their whole theory. This is a direct quote from Richard Dawkins from Oxford. He said, there are certain things about the fossil record that any evolutionist should expect to be true. We should be very surprised, for example, to find fossil humans appearing in the record before mammals are supposed to evolve, right? According to the geological. He says, in fact, if a single well-verified mammal skull were to turn up in 500 million year old rock, our whole modern theory of evolution would what? Be utterly destroyed. Alleged human bones, if authenticated, would blow the theory of evolution out of the water. Well, based on what we found in actual scientific geological data, guess what? We just blew the theory of evolution out of the water. By his own admission, why in the world would anybody, even a Christian, bow a knee to the lie of millions and billions of years? And it's based on that? Makes no sense. And? It destroys people's faith in the Bible. And, as the guy said at the beginning, keeps people away from God. A lie. That's why we're getting equipped with this because it's that powerful to let people know how much they're being lied to. It's a stumbling block, okay? But again, we got one more to go. Lord willing, next week, be here or be severely square. Okay, I was going to do that thing, but I never can quite get that L7 into a square. It's more like a triangle. But anyway, I digress. But next week, okay, there's one more thing that they try to drill in their heads to try to, you know, okay, you got me on the dating methods and the geologic column. But we know. We've been here for millions and millions of years. Because speaking of petrified trees, we all know it takes millions of years for something to petrify. 
And we all know when you go on those cave tours, don't you dare touch that thing because it takes millions of years for those things to form. Lord willing, we'll deal with that next week. Let's go ahead and pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy, and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is, we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like Him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even His name is holy, and that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. 
God so loved the world that He sent His one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in Him, what He did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but He will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised Him from the grave, showing that His death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what He did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent His Son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask Him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in His work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a of death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for 
uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.